we ask you to bless this evening. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would want us to see from this section. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to be starting at verse 19. God has been speaking about the false prophets. And we're going to continue talking about the false prophets. So starting at 19. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon you, upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he has executed, until he has performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days he shall consider it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But I have... But if I had stood, if, if they, but if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my word, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. Am I a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself from secret places and I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do not I fill the heaven and the earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said and prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that, the prophet, that, that prophesy lies? Yes, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. All right, so... We're going to look at this section real quick. Verse 19 says, he's continuing, The whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, even grievous whirlwind, and it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. God brings judgment on the wicked. And it's kind of interesting because even in our day, we're seeing people that are being very wicked, and then bad things happen to them, and what do they do? They blame others, they blame circumstances. They don't recognize that it is God bringing the judgment. And, you know, and we know that bad things can happen to anybody, but when you're really evil, bad things are going to happen. And we're seeing this in our, we're going to see it even more in our country. We've been seeing it, but we are going to reap the results of all these bad decisions our government are starting to make as they get further and further away from God. And God's going to bring the judgments just like he did for Jeremiah upon, you know, upon Jerusalem we're going to be seeing more and more judgment. And God says those who bring the false teachings are going to be judged harsher than the rest. So he says, The anger of the Lord shall not return until he executes it, until he has performed the thoughts of his heart, and in the latter days he, considers, he shall consider it perfectly. When God's judgment falls, bad things happen and don't stop. When... The rains fell in Noah's day. It wiped out the entire population. When he sent fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah, it wiped out the entire valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just those two cities, but that entire valley was wiped out. So when God brings judgment, it falls completely. And we look at this, and this is what he's saying, the anger of the Lord will not turn back until it is finished until he has accomplished what it is he has set out to do. And you know, I'm, I'm almost afraid for America once God starts bringing judgment. How bad will it happen? I think we'll be pretty much wiped out 
if his judgment falls. But we deserve it, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I hate to say that, but this country really deserves what comes its way because of how far into sin it has gotten. And unfortunately, how little the church has really said against what's going on. We have not been good prophets <laughs> to speak out against what's happening as a whole. I mean, I know there's certain churches and certain pastors that speak out and say this is wrong, but as a whole, the churches have just said, oh, well, you know, we're, we're not worrying about this. Sin is sin. We can't stop it. So we'll just, we'll just say God loves everybody and be, be done with it. Well, God does love us, but he does have judgment that falls upon us when we do wrong. And we need to understand that and need to be able to speak that. He says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they have prophesied. And this is, if you read the different parts of Jeremiah, Jeremiah had all kinds of troubles. He'd go speak to the king, and he'd give God's word, and then all these other prophets would come in, and they would contradict what he said. And then, you know, the hardest thing for us is to be in the minority when we're speaking for God. Because then everybody's saying something different, and we look like people screaming into the wind and and like we're crazy lunatics because we're saying God's bringing judgment and everybody else is saying, oh, God's bringing blessing. Look at all that's going on. There's, there's nothing wrong with what's going on. You know, and they're all crying out good, good for, for them. And this is what Jeremiah went through. And God is saying, I did not speak to all those prophets. I did not tell them to say these words. I did not encourage them to speak anything. And so he's going over and over these things he goes, if they had stood in my counsel, if, in other words, if they had stood before him and heard his words and caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned from their evil ways and from their evil doings. One of the ways you can know that somebody's a false prophet is if they allow evil to go totally unchallenged. And I'm not saying you're going to go crazy, to, you know, challenging it, but, you know, I've been asked point blank at various times, is such and such a sin? And I'm going, God calls it a sin. And that's how I say it. I say God calls it a sin. I'm not judging somebody by telling them God calls it a sin, but they need to understand God has standards. We have too many people, especially in churches and stuff, that somehow believe that anything is, anything is good. And I've been reading a lot of articles from people saying, well, you know, you should just let people live the way they want, you know. And then they'll say something stupid. They're basically good, you know, and they'll eventually come, you know, start doing the right thing. And I'm going, okay, we're told that man is deceitfully wicked. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. We're not basically good. We're evil to the core. We have to tell people God's standards because otherwise they're going to go to hell. And all these things, you know, if you say the word sin in many churches, you're going to be looked at like you're something wrong with you. You have leprosy. You, you are somebody that doesn't belong around them because you believe in sin. You believe in a God that will judge sin. And I don't stick along those churches very long. It doesn't take me long to find out that I'm not one of them and move, move on. And this is what he's saying there. They, if they had heard my counsel, God says, they would have brought people to repentance. They would have heard, the, heard that judgment was coming. They, were going to heard, they would have heard that God has standards and they should be repenting by those, by those words. And you know, this is 
This is hard. And then he goes a very interesting statement in verse 23. Am I a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? So what he's saying is these prophets somehow think that they can get away with saying words that I didn't say because they think somehow that I'm not near them. And I'm really amazed sometimes when people have this idea that God does not hear. God does not see. And unfortunately, even Christians sometimes live like God is not omnipresent and seeing everything that goes on and omniscient, knowing everything that goes on. And this is what God's saying. He goes, don't you know that I am a God that's both near and far? You can't get away from me. The psalmist said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I descend into hell, you are there. If I go to the farthest reaches, you are there. How would that change the way we act if we truly, truly believe that God was always present, hearing every word we say, watching everything that we do? I've had some people, well, that's scary that there's a God like that. Well, actually, I'm glad there is a God like that because that means he knows everything, including all the bad things I do, including all the bad things other people do and are planning and want to do. <laughs> he is a God that knows everything. He is everywhere. Uh, he says, can any hide himself in a secret place that I shall not see him? Do I not fill the heaven and earth, says the Lord. I love this. He fills. He is the fancy word omnipresent, everywhere present. There's not a place in this universe and beyond that God does not fill every part of. And we think the universe is large, but God, God says, I encompass all of that. I am in all of that. He goes, there's no place you can go. There is nothing secret that can be done that I don't see. There isn't any secret hiding place that you can go into and I wouldn't see. God would be the champion at hide and seek. You know, because you couldn't hide from him. <laughs> all right. Uh, and he goes, so he's, he's really emphasizing how large he is, that he is everywhere, knows everything because he is everywhere. And verse 25 says, And I have heard what the prophets said. The prophets lie in my name, saying, I have dreamed a dream. The prophets are saying lies, and he's saying you, they know their lies. And then he's saying they've dreamed a dream. This is something we have to be very careful of, because a lot of times we want to live by our experiences. What do I think? What do I feel? Uh, what are my emotions saying to me? God wants us to be dependent upon his truth. And this is very important because it is real easy when everything's going bad and going against us. We start feeling, God doesn't love me. He hates me. Look how much he's against me. If we know God's word, he's never against us. Even if we are being disciplined, he's trying to teach us something. And even beyond that, he's working to gift us some kind of growth in the process. And here he's telling the people, these prophets are lying. And they're saying, "These I have dreamed. I have been in some very crazy churches for a short period of time. And there was people that would say, well, God told me to say this to you. And what that meant is that you couldn't argue with them because they were quoting God. 
Now, I would listen to him, and I'm going, you know what, that's not what the Bible says. You're saying, well, God told me to say this. I'm going, I don't know what God you're listening to, because I'm going to trust his word. And so I didn't stay in those, those type of churches very long. But that was a key word, you know, God said, and at that point, you were to sp stop all arguments with them, because they were, had some kind of close relationship that God spoke to them directly. These prophets were saying, God says, and God is saying, I didn't say any such thing. You know, don't listen to them just because they say, thus saith the Lord. He goes, make sure that their message is a legitimate message. And this is why it's so important, and I've encouraged us over and over, make sure that we look and examine the messages. Whether I'm speaking it, you hear it online, you hear it on the radio, the television, whatever, look at the Bible and say, does that message match what the scriptures say? And if it doesn't, discount it. You know, and if they're always speaking something that doesn't match up to scriptures, don't listen to that person. They're not worth listening to, no matter how good a speaker they are. These false prophets were very good speakers. They made great messages, and they, they had long stories, and every once in a while there'd be this, we will read this place where they would make things and they'd make symbols out of it and all these things and God says, I didn't say that. Yeah. And we want to be very careful that we don't fall into the fraud and the emotions. Don't listen to our own emotions. Emotions tend to lie to us. And we want to be careful with it. And I'm not saying emotions are wrong. We are emotional beings. Emotions are what they are. They're emotions. I feel anger, I feel that I like somebody, I feel like I might even love somebody, but what is the facts behind it? You know, and we need to be very careful that we don't give in to emotion and we look at what God says. Now, is that an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. The more we're into the truth, though, the easier it is to stand back and fall on truth knowing that God loves me in spite of the way that I feel at times, no matter, even when I know I might deserve not to be loved. One of the reasons I sing so many of the songs that tell us who we are in Christ rather you know, than, than what we think. You, know, you say, the, the chorus of it goes, you, know, you love me when I don't feel I am loved. You, hold, you, know, you, you say I'm strong when I think I'm weak. Emotions versus truth. And we want to keep that idea of what does God say about us in very tight hold. Because Satan, number one, we have our emotions that lie to us. Then we have Satan whispering in our ear telling us that God doesn't love us either. And he plays on our emotions. And so we want to hold on to the truth of God, not the lies that are being given to us by the world. And... This is the world that Jeremiah lives in. You know, he's a true prophet amongst a whole bunch of false prophets. Verse 26 says, How long shall he in his heart, uh, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy li lies unto you? Yea, they are prophets of deceit of their own hearts. Deceits, their fraud of their innermost being. And he's talking, he's saying these false prophets have an evil heart at their, at their core. And their goal is to deceive people. Now, this is one of the things, and you know, I don't want to talk too much about it, but you know, sometimes these televangelists and radio evangelists, I'm not sure that they're even Christians. 
because everything seems to be about what is good for them. And they'll say, thus saith the Lord, and they'll sound really good, but you listen to their message, and you're going, what Bible have you been studying? What, you know, uh, it's not the Holy Bible that you've been studying. And they will say things that just are so bizarre sometimes. I've read a couple articles about this guy who's basically tearing everything down that the Bible says, trying to use the Bible to tear down the Bible. And it's kind of crazy because he'll pull something way out of, out of context and throw it in against something else. You know, and he's one that says there's no sin, there's no judgment for sin. I'm going, where are you at? And he'll quote the love verses and all this other stuff that God loves us so much. And a God of love would never send somebody to hell. And it's like, you better read the whole of the Bible. And this is the problem when we don't want to read the whole counsel of God. You know, I commented the other day, at some point I'm getting a little tired of Jeremiah because it's so it's a negative book overall and it's such a hard book. But it is a book that needs to be taught because it is a book of God's heart. God brings judgment upon evil. And the whole counsel of God, we have to see both sides of it. His loving, his love for us took Jesus to the cross to pay for all the debts and, and disease and trouble that we deserve that Jeremiah is talking about. And so, and we see God's honesty, you know, greatness and love in, in Jeremiah too. It's just not as prevalent as in other books. And all of this comes in, he says, they are prophets of deceit from their innermost heart, their innermost being, which think to cause my people to forget my, my name by their dreams which they tell every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. He goes, they give you these false teachings and you start to believe them. And it's an amazing thing to me how easy it is to believe lies. You know, how do we find ourselves being filled with lies? Well, we spend our time listening to the wrong voices. You know, one of the things, and you all know that I've pretty much given up on TV because of all the false garbage on TV. And I'm going, and I, and I look at shows that I used to think were okay shows, and I'm going, how could I ever even watch that show? You know, and I look and go, that had nothing to do with God. And look at, look at all the negative that it had to do. And that's not even counting today's shows, which are awful. And I'm looking at them now and going, wow, how could I have ever thought any of that was even okay? And I'm not blanketing. There are a, ha a handful of still good shows out there, you know, very few. <laughs> And I'm sure after a while, I'll probably not even like those, but... The best thing I ever heard is that you talk about other history people, they all have different agendas. Everything has an agenda. It's disturbing to, like, to me because this is all the stuff that I was taught in school that I'm realizing is total malarkey. It's just like... And... I still don't understand how, how that stuff's being taught in school in the first place. Well, because the world is Satan's uh, playground and he's gotten what he wants in it. And the, church, and the church allowed most of it to happen without fighting. They won't stand, the church won't stand up for what they believe as a, as a whole. We pulled out of politics, we pulled out of schools because we were sitting into the sacred world that 
we're going to protect our churches and who cares what the whole world can go to hell we don't care we don't care what they're teaching and they just let it why are we as bad off is because we started pulling out of politics and not getting you know politics is too dirty we don't want to we don't want Christians to be involved with politics and as was pointed out everything that you're being taught everything that's being presented to you has an agenda I have an agenda when I teach I'm going to teach God from a very straightforward point. I'm, I'm just very upfront with it. You know, I'm going to teach about God. But the world is not upfront with their agenda. They try to sneak it in, trying to pretend that they are, have no agenda in it. And I made a t- school teacher very angry at me one time, and I'm going, you know, well, I, I don't have any prejudice when I teach. I go, everybody has prejudice when they teach. You cannot get away with it. What you believe is going to come out in what you teach. The very examples you use show what you believe. It's just a plain fact. There is no such thing as pure, unbiased anything. Everything has a bias attached to it. And so the more we realize that, the easier it is. And this is why I can see through a lot of what they're going, because I know there's a bias, and I'm looking for the bias. Is it a godly bias or an ungodly bias? That way I'm, my guard goes up when it's ungodly and my guard stays up when, even when it's godly because there may be a false teacher using <laughs> certain key words that I'm thinking are godly and the guard still has to stay up. He knows it very well. And entertainment industry knows that they can sneak in some very hard statements because what happens when you're being entertained is you turn off all your defenses and things just flow into your mind that would never ever get into your into your thought processes if you stayed on your guard. And this is what I'm saying when I watch some of these old shows that I think were really that I used to think were okay, and I'm going, wow, all the garbage I let into my mind in those days because I didn't have my guard up when I was being entertained. Well plus I think too when you're younger you know a lot more about God and the Bible. Well, I knew a lot less when I was younger. Now I think more with God. And I've also learned the lesson that there's an agenda being taught. And I'm starting to really look for the agenda. And it's like, whoa. Uh, you know, some of these agendas are just amazing when you look at them, you know. Uh, and the entertainment industry will always tell us, well, we're just reflecting culture. No, they are influencing culture in a big way. And... Um, you know, they like to try to say they're just reflecting, but they are actively trying to change. All right, back to our, back to our topic here. <laughs> Verse 28. The prophet that has a dream, let him dream, and he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like the fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, that's that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, that use their tongue and say, he said, behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and do not tell and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. All right, into the paragraph. So here he's continuing with his attack of these prophets. All right, he says, the prophet, ha- the prophet that has a dream, let him tell his dream. 
In other words, if it's a dream, tell them that it is a dream. Don't tell them this is from God. And there's times when I'll answer somebody's question and they'll go, well, what do you think about such and such? And I'll go, well, this is what I think. And I hope you all catch those when I say this is what I think that I'm believing. I'm not speaking of authority at that time. I'm just saying after 50 years of study, this is what I believe. And that's worth what it is. 50 years worth of study is, is not a long time, but it is you know, worth something, hopefully. And he says, and he that hath my words, let him speak my word faithfully. So he says, you have my word, speak it and speak it the way that it is spoken. And it is hard sometimes to say these things sometimes when you know that it's going to hurt somebody. There has been occasions where God has put it on my heart to say something. I go, God, I know this is towards somebody and I know that God says to say it. Usually I will back off. I want to make sure that God is definitely pushing me to say something when I know it's going to. Now, there's many times I say something I didn't know was going to be offensive. But there are some times when I've said something that I know that God once said. And it's like, and I know it's one specific incident. I'm going, God, I can't say that. That person out there knows that I know what they're going through. And they're sitting out there. But God says, be faithful. When we know that he wants us to say something, we need to speak it with all diligence on it. And he goes, so, so what is the chaff to the wheat? And if you know what that is, the chaff is all the husks and the, and the stubble, and the wheat is what we eat. So he's going, what is the chaff to the wheat? Does that have anything to do with it? No, we don't cook with the, the stubble. We don't do anything with the stubble except get rid of it. It's worthless. We want the, the kernels of wheat. We don't want the, the chaff. He goes, what is, what is that? And he's making the co- comparison to these worthless dreams that they have, their opinions, appear, compared to his word. And we need to always keep that in mind. He goes, and I love this, is not my word like a fire? It burns. How many times have we read God's word and we just burn because it's like, okay, God, that's my problem. You know, you're, you're touching a little soft area. And then I, this other part, the fire will consume and he goes, is not, and like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces. This is an idea of a sledgehammer type thing. And won't ask for any hands or anything, but how many times have we been reading God's word and we feel like we've been beat up by a sledgehammer? And going, uh, God, can you stop just a little bit here? I got it. I think I've got it. And God says, well, I don't know if you've got it yet. I'm going to make sure we break that hard heart to pieces so that you'll respond the fire, the burning up of the, of the stuff that's not worthless, uh, the stuff that is worthless, and breaking hard hearts. And sometimes God hammers pretty hard. And I've had plenty of times when I've had that, and I've shared that with you. It's amazing to me how many times these pastors gang up on me on the radio, uh, you know, for, for a couple of days or something, they're all talking directly to me and my problem. And I know it's God, but it is his word hammering away and saying, are you ready to listen? And I go, God, I think I got it the first day. I didn't need it five days in a row. But obviously I needed it five days in a row. Otherwise it wouldn't have been there for five days in a row. But his word, you know, lots of people think his word is soft and loving and kind. I am a stubborn person myself. So God has to use the hammer on me sometimes to get through and say, pay attention. I'm going to hit you upside the head with his eight by eight so that you'll start paying attention. And his word can be just that, the hard hammer to break me. 
and I know that I need it. I'm, I'm free to say that I'm getting softer as I get older, but uh, when I was young, God had to hammer me all the time to get my attention. And this is what he's saying to them. God's word breaks. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. This is the problem with false teachers. They fill people's minds with things that aren't godly. And it's hard sometimes because we are flesh and blood. We like to hear nice, easy things. And oftentimes God's word is not nice and easy. And if we're not careful, the nice, easy words can push out God's words. When Jeremiah would preach and teach, the, people, the other prophets would give these nice, calm, he'd say judgment's coming and they're going, God's going to bless us. Look at, all, look at all the wealth that's coming in and we're, you know, we have all this stuff going on. This Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. When Haggai preached to the people, the people were looking at him going, I don't understand. You know, look how much profit Hosea preached in right at the end of the, the northern kingdom. And, and they're going, well, look, we've got wealth. We've got profit. We've got all these good things. You know, what is wrong with you saying judgment is coming? Up until recently, I would have said in America, all the wealth and profit and, and good things that were going on and people were going, well, we don't believe that anything bad's going to happen. This country's falling apart. And people still haven't caught on to the fact that there's judgment. You know, they just think it's a bad downturn. And I think we're at the beginning of judgment. God is saying, I am tired of where you're going, and here's the judgment. What do we call all the weather storms and everything? We call it climate change, man-made climate change. Uh, yeah, it is man-made, but not for the reason that, that, that they want to tell us. It is man-made because of our sins. Well, it is climate change, and it is man-made, but not the way that they say. <laughs> Man-made because we're sinning and God is bringing judgment. So it is man-made climate change. <laughs> but not, not for the way that the world uses it. <laughs> but you know, we need to take, you know, when we do these things, we need to take some of these words that they're using and twist it to them and show them what the truth of what they're saying is, but what the reality of what it is. When I talk to people and they tell me they're pro-choice, I will tell them the same thing. I'm going, you know what? I'm pro-choice too. You have the choice to, choice to have sex or not have sex. And they'll look like me, what? And I'm going, yeah, but you don't have a choice to murder the child once you have the child. But we cannot let them get away with defining the terms. We need to really work at changing their terms and work it, work it into something that helps us because they steal the heart and they steal the words of God from people. And all of this it comes down to is really important. Do we guard what we hear? Do we guard how we think? And it is so important to guard how we think and, and this is why it's so important to get into the word of God. I've shared with people, they go, well, I want to study about the cults. I'm going, fine. However long you spend studying the cults, spend at least as long, if not twice as long, studying the Bible. What happened with uh, Kingdom of the Cults author there? He got so deep into studying the cults that he started drifting away from the Word of God. And Walter Martin got some very crazy beliefs at the end of his life, you know, because he, he thought he was the judge of everything. And 
you know, and I thought I respected him for a long time. He had a lot of good points, but he got to where he forgot the word of God. He was an apologist. Uh, but we need to be very careful. I don't want to study the cults. I don't care what the cults say. All I want to do is study the truth. Now, over the years, I've learned what the cults say because I've had to deal with them on various occasions, so I know a lot about them, but I'm going to study the truth. I want to tell people what God says, who God is, and I'm not going to argue people by telling out of their, their cults and their religions by telling them everything that's wrong about their religion. I'm just going to tell them what's right about God and draw them out, and then they could learn, once they're out, all the lies that they had. And even then, it's hard. It's very hard when you have filled your mind with lies, because the hardest thing for us as human beings is to say, well, I learned a bunch of lies, in it, and I, but I can't believe that they were all lies. I can't believe that I wasted, wasted my life learning these things. So now we try to fuse the truth with the lies and end up with some very bizarre beliefs. And I've seen it over and over where people have come out of different religions, out of different cults, and they go, well, how can I mix these two together and come up with truth? You can't. You can't mix truth with lies and come out with, a, with truth. We have to give up the lies. And there's times when I've had to look at something and I'm reading the scriptures and studying, especially in my younger days, where I believed something that was taught to me by a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, and then I read the word and go, oh, what I was taught wasn't right. And then I had to abandon what was not right and move to what is right. And it's not easy. It is really not easy to abandon the lies and turn to the truth, even though it should be. We need to be careful what it is we're doing. And I'm not saying we never change or anything like that, but are we doing things the world's way and trying to get a godly result? And we need to be careful with that. There are lots of churches out there trying to sell God. You know, not for money, but just try to sell God instead of presenting truth. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. It doesn't say, go sell me to the, to the, to the world. I'm the greatest thing, you know, I'm the greatest detergent out there for the soul, you know. You know and I've heard people actually say that kind of stuff, you know. But we need to be very careful about how are we... Re reacting. Are we being worldly or are we being spiritual? So verse 30 says, they steal my word, everyone from his neighbor. Behold, I stand against the prophet, says the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he says. God says, if they use my name and they're my false prophet, I am standing against them. And I don't want to ever have God stand against me. That would be the scariest thing to even imagine. I had one of my sons one time, he got so bad, I told you know what, I'm tired of dealing with you, I'm putting you in God's hand. He told me about 15, 20 years later, he goes, I remember that to this day, because you, you scared me to death, telling me I was in God's hand at that point. And I meant it, I was tired, I was tired of fighting with a very strong-willed willed kid, and I'm going, you're in God's hands now, I, I'm tired, of, I'm not doing this. And took him a long ways down before he brought him up, but... But it did, it did happen. He goes, Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness or their extravagance or frivolity. Yet I sent them not nor commanded them, therefore they shall not profit 
this people at all. So God says, all these false teachers are not a prophet. They're not helping you. They're stealing my words. They're, they're bringing you down. There's no benefit in them. God says, I'm standing against them. This is the good news that I have as we see more and more churches drifting away from God, that God says, I'm standing against them. Eventually, he'll take them down. He'll take down these, these individuals and elevate those that are teaching the word of God. But by the same token, how many of these prophets lost their lives for, for preaching God's word? Jeremiah isn't one who lost his life, but he had a really hard time. He would go in and prophesy, and he'd be hit in the mouth. He'd go in and prophesy, and they'd throw him in the dungeon. And, or worse, as many times he got thrown into the cisterns. He was not treated nice. Isaiah was sawn in half. And he was one of the great prophets. And they put him in a, in a, in a log and sawed him in half because of his preaching. Over and over again, these prophets would pay the ultimate price. When the Christian church first started, every one of the 11 apostles outside of Judas who killed himself died a martyr's death other than John. And it wasn't for lack of trying on John. They, they tried to kill him and God just wouldn't let him die. But the other 10 all died horrible deaths. Uh, Thomas was run through with multiple lances. can't remember which one, but one of them was quartered. And that meant that they tied him to four animals and pulled him in four directions. But everyone suffered and died for their faith. And God will bring this kind of prophet into it. Ultimately, we're going to be blessed. If we stand with God and stand for God, then we're going to get the rewards in heaven. And I don't know what the rewards will and what rewards mean in heaven, but there will be rewards. And I think we'll be happy to get them. Because I've heard many people, well, I don't care about any rewards in heaven. I'm just going to be happy to be there. Well, I agree. I'm going to be happy to be in heaven. But you know what? If I can get rewards, I want rewards as well. I don't know what a reward will mean in heaven, but I want a reward. Because <laughs> it has to mean something. Because Paul said he's out, that he's going to be rewarded. Verse 33. And when this people or the prophet or a priest shall ask you, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? You shall then say unto him, What burden? I will ever forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the, and the people that say, The burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus shall you say, Every man to his neighbor and every man to his brother, what has the Lord answered, and what has the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For you have a perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts our God. You shall say to the prophet, What has the Lord answered you, and what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because you say this word, the burden of the Lord, I have sent unto you, saying, You have, shall not say the burden of the Lord. We'll talk about this in a moment when we, when we get into this. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and will forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. So here God is saying that these priests, the prophets, the people say the burden of the Lord. And basically this was, thus saith the Lord. All right? When he says the burden of the Lord, it's the prophecy of the Lord. My Bible says oracle. Oracle. 
oracle burden the prophecy different different ways you can say it oracles had a slightly negative connotation because it was attached to the false gods god used the word burden when it was supposed to be from him he put something so heavily on their heart that it had to be spoken oracle has a slightly different connotation because it's attached to false gods and and people speaking for god so it does have the same definition but it's usually attached to somebody other than god and it says what is the burden of the lord and then you shall say unto them what is what burden i will even forsake you says the lord he goes if all these people are speaking the oracles or the burdens that aren't gods he says i will forsake you now can you imagine what it would be like to be forsaken by god I can't even imagine that because he's so intricately part of my life. I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be like. I, I have sometimes really thought, because I grew up basically a Christian from 10 years on, old on, what must it be like to not have a God to trust in? I don't understand that. You know, and I look at the world and I'm going, how can they get through any trial? And obviously they don't. They get drunk. They get stoned. They, they try to do anything they can to not have to face what they're going through. And, you know, and I've thought so many times, how does anybody get through life without God? Because if I did not have God, I, I don't know what I would do. I really don't. Because I know that I can trust him. I know that he is. And I've looked at the world and I'm going, it must be hard. It must be hard to live life without God. And some of you that have been saved in a later life probably know more than I do about that and how hard it was before you got saved and then learning to trust him. Then you had to learn to trust God. Whereas I learned at an early age to trust God and went through most of the hard times trusting him. And I'm not saying I'm good, but it just, you know, I've had a lot easier time because I know that God, I know who God is and who he wants. And he says, I will forsake them that are speaking wrong. And I can't imagine what that must be like to not have God on your side. And as for the prophets and priests of the people that say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. And I note that it's and his house. One of the things that God does, he takes authority and position very seriously. If you are under authority, you are protected by that authority. Even if it's bad authority, that person will take the blunt of, brunt, of the, brunt of it. If they're bad, unfortunately, you also suffer. And I've shared with you, there was a time when I fought with God for six years and my family suffered because I fought with God. Not as much as I suffered. I suffered greatly. But because I was fighting with God, I did not get the blessings of God. And because I didn't get the blessings of God, my family suffered through those times along with me. And we need to be very careful because God holds authority. And he says, when they go the wrong way, their family will suffer. And we see this in families. We see this in families when people, especially the father and the leader of the home, goes the wrong direction. It flows down into their kids, go in the wrong direction. There's consequences that flow into the family. Consequently, when people are doing it the right way, there are consequences for that too. There's the blessings that flow and you watch your children generally be better, better off because of your direction you're walking. And this is what he's saying. He goes, their children are going to suffer. Their whole house is going to suffer because they're coming against me with their burden. Then he says, and, and you shall say to every man who is his neighbor and every man to his brother, what hath the Lord answered? 
And what has the Lord spoken? I would love this question to be asked more often. What has God said? And I've shared with you, my dream for our church is for us to become together. And when we start coming together, having people talk about, you know, getting to church early enough. You know what I saw? You know what God showed me this week in the, in the word and what I saw in the word and get some testimonies about what God is t- telling people and learning. And I've seen only one church in my lifetime that did that. And it was very interesting that you, people would meet each other in, the, in a grocery store and a Bible study would break out. Three or four people would be talking about the Bible in the middle of an aisle in a grocery store because they were just so excited about what has God said. What has God done? My dream is that this verse will come true in our church. That we will say, what has God said? What has God done? And verse 36 says, And the burden of the Lord shall be mentioned no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For you have perverted the words of the living God for the Lord of hosts, for the Lord of hosts are God. So he says, every man shall be his burden. What he wants to say is going to be what he says, not saying it's God's. Because people pervert the word of God. And this is the sad thing, you know, especially if you listen to people outside of church. How much they say, well, uh, I can't believe that God has done this to me. I love it when somebody who doesn't even believe in God says that God's done something to them. You know, I, and I've actually told people, go, I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I don't. Well, then how can you, have, how can you blame God for this bad stuff? If you don't believe in him, quit blaming God, even though it probably is God trying to get your attention. Don't be blaming God if you don't believe in him. And in our day and age, people do this kind of double talk all the time. You know, they'll tell you, uh, I don't believe in murder, but I'm going to go out and, and have grandpa, great-grandpa uh, euthanized because he's taken away the, the inheritance. Well, that's not murder? No, it's not murder. It's, it's mercy. Okay. <laughs> uh, ending a life is murder, no matter how you look at it. Uh, I'm going to go kill this baby because I don't want it. I don't believe in murder, but it's, and it's not really a baby. It's just a blob of tissue that they're taking out and all the other lies that they tell us, tell them. But, you know, they double speak all the time. I don't believe in God, but it's all God's fault. Uh, you know, it's crazy what people will say when they don't have truth in their heads and, and they're working on it. Verse 37, thus, uh, thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you and what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because you say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent unto you, I shall say not, I shall not say, the bur- you shall not say the burden of the Lord. He goes, quit saying, this is from God. Quit saying, God says, when I didn't say. And I have seen this used in Christian churches, and, I'm, and it was being used in this time. God says, God says. And then when they start speaking, and you're going, well, that doesn't match what God's word says. How do we know if somebody's speaking the truth? It needs to match the truth. If somebody says something that is not true, I don't care who they think they heard say it, it's not true. When I was younger and I was counseling a lot of younger people and they were talking about getting married and they're going, well, God told me to marry this person who's not a Christian. I'm going, no, they didn't. What do you mean? I I know God said to, no, you're dreaming this up out of your own imagination because God says, do not be unequally yoked. 
His word says this, so if you're telling me he told you to do something opposite of the word, then there's a problem. And that's what he's telling them. He's telling them, you know, don't, if they're saying, thus saith the Lord, because I didn't say it. If it doesn't match the word, it was not spoken by God. It doesn't matter how charismatic they are. It doesn't matter how much they yell that thus saith the Lord. It doesn't matter. God told me, I dreamed this, whatever, they use, whatever term they want to use. If it doesn't match God's word, it's not valid. I'll get it for you after, at the end. Um, Therefore, behold, I will utterly forget you and will forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence. Now, this is very serious. He's going to forget them, forsake them, and cast them out of his presence. That is pretty serious. And what did God do to Jerusalem? He had it destroyed. He sent them into captivity and moved them out and basically left them alone for, for 70 years. As because of their sin. What a scary thought. You know, and technically God can't forget somebody, but he goes, I'm going to forget you. I'm, not, I'm, going to, I'm going to treat you as if I never knew you. What a hardship that would be. I'm going to forsake you. I'm not going to be your support. I'm going to destroy your city, cast you out of my presence, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. This, I think he's actually talking about these last two verses. He's talking about people that go to hell. A perpetual shame. Once they enter into hell, it is eternal. We are born at a certain period of point in time, and from that time forward, we have an eternal existence. The question is, where will we spend that eternal existence? Will we expend it in heaven with God or in hell separated from God? With all the horrors of hell. You know, a perpetual shame, a perpetual I, lostness, a place where you are completely alone without love and without hope. That would be bad enough. Then add on to it that you, your conscience is going to keep burning you for all of eternity telling you you're here because of your choices. And then it is a fire that doesn't burn, that doesn't consume. It is going to be a terrible place and that's why a lot of people don't like to believe in hell. How can a loving God be that cruel to people? Well, they're getting what they asked for. They rejected him, and they're going to spend eternity in a place for rejecting him happens. And because of God's righteousness, because of his loving care for us, he must judge sin. Must. And... He judged it on the cross with Jesus. He judged sin so that people, all they have to do is accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for them so that they can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and be accepted into God's kingdom because they are perfect, because God sees his son. Without that, they get to stand before God in their own righteousness and be rejected. Standing before God in filthy rags and saying, let me into your heaven, God. You're righteous and, and holy, and I deserve to come in because I've been, I've been good in my own strength. And God says, your filthy rags say otherwise. And he casts them into hell. Everyone will go to hell because they're not perfect. That their righteousness does not meet the standard of God. You know, and this is why when, people, when you witness to people and they're going, well, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. 
I'm going, well, I hate to tell you this, but you're not. And neither is anybody else. Without the righteousness of Christ, we are not good enough to go to heaven. And the world wants to believe that they can be good enough. I can do enough good to earn my way into heaven. And people will go into hell because of their goodness not being good enough. And they will be rejected by God because Jesus took the pain for death, for sin and death. He took the, the, the burden and the punishment for sin. And he offers righteousness to everybody. Just come to him and get on the garment of righteousness and perfection. Lord, we ask you to go with us today. Help us to always focus on your truth. Help us to not live in our emotions. Help us to not follow the world and in the, in the, in their desires. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.